Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Are you tired of constantly fighting in your relationship? Can you imagine a life where conflicts are resolved with understanding and connection instead of anger and disconnection? Riley Molinario, a renowned love educator and relationship coach, empowers individuals to live fulfilling lives through her teachings on relationship intelligence. With a remarkable journey from abandonment at birth, Riley has become a respected leader in the industry, providing couples with the skills and knowledge needed to cultivate thriving relationships and lives. Limited beliefs and misinformation, according to Riley, sit at the heart of how our relationships can go wrong. To overcome these challenges, education, awareness, and understanding are tools within our vast arsenal that Riley believes we should be focused on. Throughout our conversation, Riley explains what relationship intelligence is and provides tools and actionable items on how we can build healthy relationships. From creating a common vision, which is anything from normal, to having a weekly relationship review that helps maintain and invest in our relationship with our significant other. Please enjoy my conversation with Riley Molinario. All right, Riley Molinario, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's funny. I, You know, I feel like I should start recording from the beginning um, once uh, before we start the, the official podcast, because I think some of the conversations I have with people, especially trying to pronounce your name, uh, would would uh, give the plenty of humor to our audience. So <laughs> it's okay. I actually run a networking group of women. We're like thirteen hundred women, and trust me, I get names wrong all the time. And the most embarrassing thing is when the same woman comes back five times in a row and I mispronounce it five times in a row. So it's not just you, it's everyone. It's <laughs> just not me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well, again, welcome to the show. And I'm really excited about our conversation today, which is going to focus on uh, relationships. And when I said before we start hitting record, it's always first and foremost on, on my mind, given what I do, but really selfishly, you know, with with having relationships with my wife, uh, Teresa and my, my triplets plus one, it's a, it's a very interesting, uh, family dynamics that, that we have in our household. So, but why don't we start with you, uh, tell us who you are, your background and how you came into the field of coaching us and especially working with people on relationships. Yes. So I am an expert love educator and relationship coach. I became a coach just over two years ago. So I am new to the coaching industry. 
But my coaching business blew up very quickly because I have one, a background in finance. So I knew the business aspect. I taught entrepreneurship for many years. So I was able to create a business um, that actually scaled to six figures in just over two years. The beginning of my story is is quite dark and it's quite sad with a very happy ending. So I, I promise you that. Um, but I actually come from trauma and from violence and from a very dark, dark place that has beautifully allowed me to come to where I am now. So when I was an infant, I was abandoned by my father and left to sleep in the snow. I then grew up with my mother and my stepfather in this very abusive and neglectful household. There was financial abuse, there was physical abuse, emotional abuse, and it got so bad that at the age of 16, I decided to leave home and try to make it in the world on my own. So when I was in grade school, I was labeled as academically gifted. They wanted to sort of skip me because I was so advanced. So I had the book smarts. And when you leave home at 16, you are able to take care of yourself. I was in university. I was studying two degrees. I was able to get a house and a car and invest in a stock market. So I had the street smarts. So book smarts and street smarts on the outside, I looked like I had everything, but in the inside I was suffering. I had anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. It got so bad that I decided one day that I was going to take my life because I, I just couldn't suffer any longer. But in that moment, I asked myself, do I actually want to die or do I want the suffering to end? And so I realized that those were two different things, that if I could create a beautiful existence for myself, that is something I wanted to participate in. So with the book smarts and the street smarts, I was still miserable. And I realized that that intelligence that I needed that was more important than the house and the car and all of those things is what I refer to as relationship intelligence, the ability to have a successful relationship with myself and everyone around me. So there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm glad that you started there first because that was one of my next questions. Because obviously in, in looking at your work, you know, it starts with your background and in, in that story, uh, which obviously, as you said, it can be very painful, but obviously um it's amazing how you know where you're at today, given where you came from. Um talk to us about, let me step back, talk to us about how you transitioned into coaching because i think i the the two and a half years i've had the podcast um it's really focused a lot on that word transitions and people whether it's a career transition life transition you know i think we underestimate the number of transitions we go through and in, in, in a given year or you know time period so talk to us about what what that transition was like for you, what prompted it? Where did you come from in, in finance? And then how how and why did you get into coaching? Yes. So I studied finance and hospitality when I was in university. I loved math. And more than that, it was about me getting into uh, a job on Wall Street. So that was my sort of dream. Because when I was younger, I came from a 
family that that suffered from financial abuse. So my mother was in an abusive relationship with her ex-husband. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom. So she wanted to leave that abusive environment, but she didn't have any money and she had three children. And it was really difficult. And from a very young age, I realized that money is 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 important because it gives you the freedom to save yourself in some cases. So when I was in in high school, I thought to myself, well, what do I want to do? Because eventually you have to pick something. And I said, well, who makes a lot of money? Uh, people that work on Wall Street. I'm good at math. Let's do it. There wasn't too much you know, connection or drive or passion. It just sort of made sense. And I decided that that's, you know, that's a way to make a lot of money. And so I, I went into finance. But I quickly realized that although I was good at it, there was no passion. There was no drive. There was no purpose. And I wanted to do something that was more important to me, something that had more value. Yes, I still think money is an important factor of any job. I think we all want to feel comfortable and safe financially. But being able to do something that I'm passionate about and something that is really lacking in society is, is so much more valuable to me. So when you when you decided to... What was like the the tipping point for you? Like when you you realized that you know this really wasn't this isn't for me. The the life that I'm going down with your career um, just isn't it. Like what was I guess what was that light bulb moment? And then how did you actually take action on it? Because I think that's the other um, I think aspect that people really are interested in in making a transition is, okay, yeah, I know I'm not happy. I want to do something else, but I don't necessarily know how to take that first step or in probably more cases than not, people are just afraid to take that first step. Yes. So I do have a big story. I will try to fit everything in. Um, so we love I- stories on this show. So <laughs> tell us away. I, it's like I've lived 10 lives, so I try, to, <laughs> I try to make it cohesive. So when I was in the um, university and I was planning to work on Wall Street, that is when I had that moment of, I don't want to have this experience anymore. So I was successful on the outside, but on the inside, I was very unhappy. When I fish, finished university, I thought to myself, I just finished university and I haven't even gotten into working on Wall Street. I actually got a job offer from Bank of America to be a branch manager at a bank, which is a great job coming out of college. But I was already so miserable and so disconnected. I said to myself, I don't want that. I don't want to go to work every day and feel like I'm working for someone else and feel like I'm just not really doing anything valuable. Yes, I'll make good money, but this isn't this isn't going to work for me. So I actually decided not only to not take that job, but I decided to leave the country. So I (laughs) left the United States and I went to Barcelona, Spain. I packed a few suitcases. I packed my dog and I decided I need a whole different experience because when I had that moment in that hotel room where I was going to take my life, it was it was now or never. I said, I have to change something. I have to make this a big change. I have to do a really deep healing. I don't know if you've seen the movie Eat, Pray, Love, but it was sort of one mm-hmm. of those yep. kind of experiences that we have to go big or we go home. You know, this is it. This is my life. So I decided to leave all of that behind, but also experience a whole different culture 
where it wasn't just about how much you worked and how much money you made, but it was more about relationships and connection. And I found that for me, I connected more to the Spanish culture and the sort of relaxed way of living and the more connected families and things like that. And so I moved my entire life to to Barcelona, Spain. I worked there for uh, 10 years as a as an entrepreneurship teacher. So I taught entrepreneurship. Um, and I got to travel all over Europe and sit in the sun and have coffee in the morning. <laughs> so it was a whole different lifestyle change. And that was great. I went through that self-healing for 10 years. I learned so much. I researched relationships and, and all of these different dynamics that I now can teach today. But I knew that I didn't want to be you know, a teacher for the rest of my life. So that's when I decided, okay, I've done the healing. I've done the research. Now it's time for me to move on and to build my own business. It's been a while since I saw that movie, but just listening to your story, like it almost fits it to a T. I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have drawn up any drastic, more, probably more drastic experience from going from, you know, New York and being a, you know, banker to teaching entrepreneurship in in Spain. Yeah. Yes. So specifically, you were talking about that transition. So I do want to touch on that a little bit. So for me, because I went into that really dark depression where I was ready to end my life, I knew that I needed something drastic. I knew that I needed something that felt new and felt um, different and put me outside of my comfort zone. So I wanted to be able to traveling was always a passion of mine in my head. As children, we never went on holiday. We never got to travel. Um, but I always imagined myself on planes and in cafes in different countries. And I always had this idea that I was going to be this traveler. So I said, why not? Again, I have nothing to lose. I don't know where to start on this self-healing journey, but I know that it's not here with what I have. So I wanted to change my environment. And I did the numbers. I made sure that I had enough money to take care of myself. And um, I, I had a plan as to what I was going to do and and sort of started from there. Um, but for me, it was more of an intuitive change because I had always been very calculated when it came to school and university and getting this job and everything. And part of that shift was also being more intuitive. I will always have that very strict mindset of being that person who's organized and I'm a planner and I'm always calculating risk, but I wanted to tap into a little bit more of the intuitive side of me, the sort of momentary present um, side of me of how does this make me feel? Not just the, you know, calculating it in my mind, but how am I feeling? You know, and allowing myself to make decisions based on what makes me happy, not necessarily only what keeps me, you know, quote unquote safe. Um, so it was, it was an adventure. It was very scary. I didn't speak any Spanish, which I thought was going to be a really big problem. Um, but actually it was extremely welcoming. Nowadays it's very common. So I met a lot of different expats. Uh, it, it's very common for people to travel. So it's not like I was alone in this country with these different people. There were tons of Americans and other cultures around and it was the most beautiful experience I, I could have ever imagined. Wow. That's, that is really, really fascinating. So did you like, when, when I was listening to you, the, the thing I was thinking about was this transition and listening to your intuitive self versus like, you know, uh, taking, you know, running calculations, if you will. Um, how, 
how do you think that translates into what that, that experience? How does that translate into what you do today and working with with people on the relationships and coaching? Yes. So I think a lot of the way that we make decisions is based on a lot of misinformation. So for me, the information that I had was that in order to be successful, I have to make a lot of money. I have to live in a big house. And that is the equivalent of success. And I have to make sure that I don't follow in my parents' footsteps. And I have to make sure that I'm always independent and I never depend on anyone. And I never open myself and and become that vulnerable person because everyone is out to take advantage of one another. These are the lessons that I learned. So I was only focused on academics. I was focused on work. I was focused on being a good person, you know, and being successful. And my definition of success changed after that. Yes, I think it's important to have a career or a job that makes money and, and you're able to do something that you love, but it expanded to happiness. It expanded to joy and to connectiveness. So when I'm working with clients, a lot of times they have this idea of what a relationship is supposed to be, those sort of limiting beliefs that relationships are supposed to be um, you and this person and you are going to fight because fighting is inevitable, that you are going to get bored because that's just what happens, that you know, you're know you never going to find someone that truly makes you happy so you just sort of have to settle. So there's a lot of limiting beliefs in our society these days. So that idea of that intuition it's about what do we feel relationships can be? What What is that intuitive factor? When you're fighting, do you think that this is ideal? And most, of, most people will say, no, well, it's not ideal. It doesn't feel good to fight. So that idea that you believe it's inevitable because society says it is, but truly you know that this isn't working. This isn't making you happy. So the only difference is that you think that there's not another way, but I can teach you another way. So that intuition is understanding that if things are making us feel bad, then there's probably something else that we can do that's more more authentic to our human characteristics. So I was just going to ask this question. You led right into it. How do you do you have a framework that you've built or do you use in working with um, couples on how to overcome those these limited limited beliefs in a relationship yes yes so the first thing is education this is really important um when people come into my community the first question that i ask them is when did you learn how to have a successful relationship who sat down and taught i don't know you if that- i ever have i'm thinking i'm trying to answer that myself i'm like i don't know there you go. <laughs> you well you answered the question and i asked and i sort of take them through this journey Did your parents teach you the same way they taught you how to ride a bike and how to tie your shoes? Did they teach you how to have a successful relationship? And people say, well, no. And so I asked them, did you take a class in school called relationship intelligence, where you learn exactly the proven formula of how to have a successful relationship? And again, they're like, no. And so my question is, when did you learn how to do one of the most important success factors when it comes to your happiness level? When did you learn how to do that thing that is so vital and so important, more important than everything else? When did you learn how to do that? And that is when people are recognizing, 
oh, I haven't. And so we get a little bit of information from the TV and the movies, which is fiction. We get a little bit of information from what our parents did or what our friends are doing, who are probably in unhappy relationships themselves. So not a great source of information. We get a little bit from reading this book or that book, or but we don't have a cohesive, complex, complete formula education on how to have successful relationships. So this this foundation is missing from our lives and there's no wonder why we're suffering. So when I work with couples, I teach them the proven formula of how to have a successful relationship because we think that relationships are these really complex things because they involve people and emotions and people are complicated, but we've actually been able to study relationships on a scientific level. The same way we understand that one plus one equals two, that red and yellow equal orange, we understand the components of a successful relationship. And it is much more easy and digestible than the average person would think. So how do you, so what's what's the next step in this then? So the first thing is recognizing and knowing what you don't know. It's that awareness that, oh, I'm suffering in my relationship. There's always awareness. It always comes back to awareness. I'm suffering in my relationship with myself, with my partner, with my friend, with my coworker, simply because I'm ignorant, because I haven't been taught this. Society has set us up for failure. Every child should understand relationship intelligence. We shouldn't be teaching it, you know, as much as I love my clients, I shouldn't have to teach a 40 or 50 year old about relationship intelligence. They should know this at a very young age. So understanding that society has set you up for failure and that there is an entire piece that is missing and you have to fill in that piece in order to have these successful relationships. That is the first step, the awareness. The second part is really understanding what that formula is. So again, relationships, they're not difficult. And it sounds crazy because you're like, yeah, but you don't know my relationship because my ex-wife or my husband or, but they're actually very simple. Why? Because humans, we have the same basic human needs. I don't care who you are, what job you have, what you've done, what trauma triggers, but we all have the same basic human needs. We want to feel seen. We want to feel heard. We want to feel loved. We want to feel connected. Whether you're a police officer or a serial killer, everyone wants the same thing. Now, we might express it in many different ways, right? But at our core, humans want the same thing. And so because we want the same thing, we want the same thing in relationships. Again, we may express it in many different kinds of ways, but we want the same thing. So when we're talking about the elements of a successful relationship, communication, understanding, uh, interdependence, having a problem-solving technique, this is for every relationship. And this is the beauty of relationship intelligence. You know, now we have a lot of different um people pulling in in different directions saying you have to be like this and you have to have a relationship like that and this is right and this is wrong none of those things matter so whether you're married or simply just in a relationship if you have children or you don't have children if you are close in age or you have an age gap if you're heterosexual homosexual if you have a close relationship open relationship none of these things matter when it comes to the success or failure of the relationship, because we see couples on both sides, some are happy, some are miserable. Those things you get to choose. The only thing that matters when it comes to the success or failure of the relationship 
is relationship intelligence. With these things that you've chosen, can you use them and navigate your relationship successfully? How do you how do you go about tuning out? It's it's hard enough just being an in, individual and turning out the noise of the world, um, especially in you know twenty four hour you know news cycle, social media, like. And I think I, I've never really thought about it in this way, but since since you were since listening to you talk about that, it it kind of it, it applies to us as individuals, and then obviously if you're married or in a relationship, it applies to that relationship as well. So it's it's hard enough one on one tuning that that noise out, let alone being in relationship and trying to tune that noise out. Because as you pointed out, we we come at this at very different perspectives. Yeah. So I I would say, you know, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of talk. Um, and, And I actually think it's a wonderful thing because we're hearing so many different perspectives. You know, we're not being taught. This is, this is the only way we now, because of social media and the internet, we get to hear so many different perspectives on the way to live. And this is why we're having so many different choices when it comes to relationships and the way that we live our lives. I would say instead of trying to tune out, we attune to the things that we feel aligned with. So, you know, we've all fallen down the YouTube or Instagram uh, rabbit hole where we're just scrolling and scrolling and somehow we get to some crazy video that we're like, how did we get here? Um, It's just simply that algorithm, right? And so when we choose our own algorithm of what we connect with, that's when we get to at least go together in a positive direction. Now, when you're in a relationship, you have to understand that you're with a totally different human being, right? This is a person with their own thoughts and their own feelings and their own desires and their own traumas and triggers and all of those things. What's important in a relationship is that as long as the two of you have a common vision, which is step one to creating a thriving relationship, you share the same values, beliefs, expectations, and boundaries for the relationship. As long as you have that, you are allowed to be your own person. I don't want my husband to be exactly like me. That that would be so boring, right? I want him yeah. to have his own perspectives and ideas because together we can grow and together we can create something beautiful because we have two different brains and two different perspectives. So we bring those two things together. So it's just about how how we navigate the relationship that that really makes a difference. How did you how did you come into specifically learning about this idea or concept of of relationship intelligence? Because in, until I started doing research on you, I I had no idea what this was. Yes. So when I thought about becoming a coach, I thought I was just going to be a life coach. And I said, I have a lot to say. I've been through a lot. I want to support people in their journey. I want to be a life coach. I had no idea there were 17,000 different types of life coaches. I was like, oh, I just thought I was going to be a life coach. So then I heard about this idea of niching, right? You want to pick a niche and you want to be specific. And I thought to myself, well, what is what is something I'm really passionate about? I'm, I'm vegan. I love uh, fitness, but I don't feel as connected um, 
as relationships, because I think relationships is really the source of everything else. Even if I want the world to be more compassionate and more plant-based for the planet and for themselves and for, you know, all of these things, it's still about relationships. If I can get If I can get people to be more compassionate and understanding and feel safe, they'll make better decisions with everything. So relationships are really the core of of human ethics and allowing people to understand that they have the power to change the world. They have the power to change their lives and ultimately change the world through those relationships. So, you know, when we're thinking about the world as a whole, we truly understand that the quality of our life is dependent on the quality of our relationships. So for me, that was number one. That That's why I decided to get into relationship coaching. The two most important relationships we'll ever have are the relationship we have with ourselves, and then the relationship we have with our partner, even more than the relationship we have with our children. It's not to say that it's more important, but it's more it's a deeper relationship because we have all levels of intimacy in romantic relationships that we don't have with any other relationship. So we have sexual intimacy in romantic relationships that we don't have with our children, with our friends. So it's the closest relationship, the deepest, most intimate relationship that we'll ever have. And when we can heal these two relationships, our whole life can change, our communities can change, our world can change, and we can slowly, slowly start to overcome and prevent generational trauma, generational ignorance, generational trauma, uh, poverty. I often say the two biggest decisions one will ever make in their lives that affect both their personal life and their financial life is A, who they marry, and B, if they decide to have kids. Because <laughs> it yeah. touches everything. Yes, absolutely. So, when uh, one of the one of the topics or um, subjects that that you talk a lot about is, and I think you even have this guide that you put together called the Ultimate Guide to Thriving Relationships. Can you pull out a few like critical points that the listeners would be able to? Um, take away and begin to try to implement in their own relationships? Absolutely. So number one is understanding the three steps to creating thriving relationships. Number one is to create a common vision. So we have to understand there are so many different beliefs and ideas and ways of living on this planet. There's no such thing as normal. We get to choose what kind of life we want to have, what kind of life we want to live, what kind of person we want to be. There's no right or wrong. So when we are getting into a relationship with someone, we have to have that common vision. Do we have the same values, goals, beliefs, and expectations? Because we can't expect automatically that this person thinks the way that I think. For example, right now we're having this sort of polar um, energies. We have what I call sort of in general traditionalists. So people who believe that a man should make the money, he should uh, go out and work and he protects and provides and the woman stays home and she's the nurturer. We sort of understand that. And then we have what I categorize as the progressive. So people who say it doesn't matter, a man can stay home and be a stay-at-home dad and you know there's more equality and things like that. There's no right or wrong. You get to choose whatever it is that you want. The only person that has to agree with you is your partner. 
So I know what works for me in my relationship. For example, my husband and I, we share a bank account. That's not going to work for everyone. So whatever you want to do in your relationship is completely up to you. But you have to make sure that you do your homework and you understand that this person that you are with has the same beliefs as you, at least in the beginning of the relationship. And then something happens after that. But when we go into the relationship, we have to make sure that we are compatible. And it's not just, oh, we like to play tennis and you know we both like rock music. It has to be much deeper than that. So that is our job from the beginning to make sure that there's that compatibility. Because what I see happen, couples who've been together for 10 years, 20 years, um, they're, they're having issues because they don't have the same common vision. They don't have the same idea as to whose role is it to do what in the relationship or what does quality time look like? What does respect look like? What What is cheating? You know, cheating is a really big one that we have to discuss in 2023. There's no one definition of cheating other than you're going outside of the boundaries of your relationship. But what are those boundaries? It's different for everyone. And most people, you know, they would think, oh, well, if you have sex with someone else, that's considered cheating. Well, not necessarily because there are couples who are in open relationships or non uh, consensually non-monogamous relationships where that is acceptable. So what, you know, what happens if that person likes someone's picture on Instagram or goes to a strip club or watches porn or where do those boundaries lie? The only people that can determine that are you and your partner. So we have to have these conversations because it's not going to look the same for every couple. So that's step number one. The next step is to um, master relationship intelligence. So the, the navigation of the relationship once you're in it. The first thing is communication. Most couples, most people are terrible communicators. We like to talk a lot, <laughs> but we don't know how to communicate, which is an art. It's a totally different thing. So when people say, you know, we talk all the time. Okay. But is, but is there communication happening? Because the information has to go back and forth with understanding happening and it has to lead somewhere, not just banter. So a quick tip when it comes to communication when you are communicating with someone, there are two jobs. One is the speaker and one is the listener. You have to make sure to pick a job. You can't do both at once, which we try to do, especially in heated arguments, right? Yeah. You didn't take out the trash and I asked you to take out the trash. Yes, I did take out the trash. I took it out this morning. And right, we're both talking at the same time. That means no one is listening. If no one is listening, we're not communicating. We're just two people talking over each other. It's better to just not have any talking at all <laughs> than two people talking over each other. So we have to pick a job. Are you the listener? Or are you the speaker? If you're if you're the speaker, your job is to speak kindly, respectfully, clearly, honestly, which we don't tend to do when we're frustrated, right? But it's still the easier of the two jobs. The more difficult job is the listener because we have such a short attention span. When we're in a heated ar argument, after about five to 10 seconds, we already start to think about our defense and what we want to say next. So we have to stay focused on what our partner is saying. And the key to listening is to practice active listening. It means to listen with the intent to understand. My partner can tell me that the sky is green, but I still need to practice active listening and say, okay, I hear you. I hear that you're telling me the sky is green. 
Now, I can completely disagree with you and understand at the same time. People say, oh, I don't understand my partner, or I don't understand why you would do that, or you never understand what I'm saying. We can completely eradicate misunderstandings like that if we understand what it means. Understanding is simply being able to absorb the information of what someone else is saying. Okay, you're telling me that the sky is green. I understand. I completely disagree, but I understand. So understanding comes with acceptance. I accept that what you're telling me is your perspective. You see the sky as green. That is your perspective. I see the sky as blue. That's my perspective. So communication, it's an art. It's actually quite simple. But again, in those heated moments, everything goes out of the window. We get super defensive. We start talking over each other. We try to make our point. We think that it's partner one versus partner two rather than the couple versus the problem. So there's a lot of things that if we learn them in a relaxed environment and we practice them on a daily basis, it becomes easier once we get into those uncomfortable situations. Is there a way when you're in the heat of the moment to have awareness to be like, okay, we're both upset. We can't have this conversation now. I think I mean, just personally, that's Teresa and I get into a lot of lot of points like that where it's like, okay, this is probably not the most ideal, you know, time to talk about, you know, what's going on with the kids because it's seven o'clock at night, you haven't eaten dinner yet, I haven't, you know, finished this, or we gotta help a kid with the homework. And, you know, having having a conversation right now, it's just is not it's not the right time. So I again I think it comes back to what you pointed out before. And I think about all the time is awareness. Yes. So I will, I will tell you two quick things um, to prevent this from happening from, from preventing the wrong conversation at the wrong time. The first thing is to understand that we need to be able to compartmentalize things in our relationship. We have to have date night, which is really important for investing in the positivity of the relationship. I would say minimum, minimum worst point of your life one time a month and ideally once or more per week. That is when you celebrate all of the good in the relationship. That's when you strengthen the intimacy, you strengthen the bond. That's really important because that's gonna buffer a lot of that resentment and that frustration. It's allowing the two of you to connect and be more positive. Then we need to have a maintenance plan in our relationship. So I call it the power couple weekly checklist, which is once a week, you and your partner sit down and you go through a routine to allow the two of you to work on your relationship, work on yourselves as a couple, work on the household if you live together. And there's something in the power couple weekly checklist, which is called the weekly relationship review. This is six questions that you ask each other. What was the best part of your week? What was the worst part of your week? Is there anything I did that bothered you? That is a really big question because when we think about a year, we have 52 weeks in a year. If we are not talking about things, that's a long time. That's a lot of buildup. That's a lot of confusion, misunderstanding, frustration. You didn't understand me. I didn't understand you. We can go years like that. But if we have 52 sort of check marks in the relationship here. And we have this environment where, okay, it's Sunday at four o'clock. We're going to sit down. We have a glass of wine, a cup of tea. We already know that this is coming. We've created a safe space for this type of conversation. So honey, was there anything I did this week that bothered you? Yeah. You know, 
when you said that, it really hurt my feelings because, and you talk about it and then you move on and you start the week fresh. So we have those markers in our relationship. So that's, you know, it's really important that we're able to do that. The second thing is understanding that pausing in relationships uh, in in conversation uh, is a wonderful thing, but the way that we're doing it is all wrong. (laughs) So it's good that we do it, but we're doing it in the wrong way. So I call this effective pausing. When you get in that moment, your heart is racing, you're getting frustrated. You're just like, oh, you just, you know that it's not going to be a productive conversation. You're allowed to effectively pause. There's three steps. Number one, you look at your partner with love, not frustration, and you tell them, I'm, I'm getting overwhelmed. You know, I don't feel that this is working for me right now. I need a break. Whatever your language is, you just let them know in a loving way, I need a break. The second thing is that you go and do something that is self-soothing. So you're not going to call your friend, oh yeah, she's been terrible. I can't believe. You don't want to increase that anxiety. You want to decrease it. Do some yoga, do some meditation, go for a walk, have a coffee, whatever that is. Relax yourself, bring yourself down, be calm. And number three, if you're the one to walk away, you have to be the one to come back. I've seen it time and time again. I've done it where... I can't do this anymore. Slam the door, go in the bedroom. He better come in here and apologize. (laughs) (laughs) You're like waiting for them. No, I walked away. I come back. So those are the three things. If you do that in the right way, it is going to be beneficial for the, for the relationship. That, that checklist that you just mentioned, that weekly relationship review, is that, is that, do you post that on your website? Is that like a, a feature like we can put in our show notes to for our listeners? Yeah, yeah so I have it um, on my blog. It's called the Power Couple Weekly Checklist. And okay. it's different things that couples can do on a weekly basis. So going through their agenda, going through their to-do list, uh, co-working. So there's a co-working hour where you do things as a couple. You know, there's a lot of things that we have to do for the house, for the kids, this and that. Instead of doing them separately, we sit down for an hour and we do a really, you know, co-working hour. We do it together. So and that review is is part of that. Okay. So we'll we'll I'll make sure to link to that in um in the show notes because I think that is like really critical. Cause I the the thing I love about this conversation is that you're giving and and I this is the feedback I get from a lot of the listeners is that the the guests that are most beloved are the ones that give like specific things to be able to take away and work on. And I can't think of anything more important than the things that you have mentioned about working on your relationships with, with your significant, you know, other. Um, I know I only have you for a finite period of time. And I think I only got to maybe half of the questions I had on my, (laughs) on my list, which just means we'll have to have you back on uh, Riley, but my my closing question that I ask all my guests, uh, which is, what is the best thing about being a parent? Um, and and shame on me, I don't think you have kids, correct? I don't, not yet. <laughs> so so I usually I usually twist that a little bit. So I'll ask the question this way: What is the best thing about being a relationship coach? Yes. Uh, so so I will say the best thing at. As a non-parent, I can I can answer that to the best of my ability because I do work with parents. A huge part of my community are parents. I work with a lot of stay-at-home moms, um, and I would say that we we sort of forget the whole point of being a parent. You know, 
we're not in a time where we have a human shortage and we're not having children to sort of feed the population. We already have that. So why are we becoming parents? We have to think about that. And it goes back to that common vision. When you have a child with your partner, are you thinking about, are you discussing, are you planning? What is this that we're creating? What kind of family dynamic do we want to have? What kind of experience do we want to have? What kind of parents do we want to be? What are those lessons that we want to instill in our household to have those experiences? So I would say the the best part of being a parent should be the experience that you create with your family. That's what I think. And uh, my husband and I are planning to start an adoption process next year. Um, So you can ask me after that and I'll tell you if the answer is the same. (laughs) That is is an awesome. And that's the thing I love about that question. Even it's it's different for everybody and especially for a a non-parent that's going to become a parent. So yeah, Yeah. we will definitely have to... uh, check back in with you on that on that answer when uh, when you get through the adoption process for sure but um Riley I can't thank you enough for for being on the emotional balance sheet podcast we'll put a lot of 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 links um for your information by the way what is the we'll have your website on the show notes but is that the best way for people to reach out to you to learn more about yourself your story and and the and your coaching relationship work Yes. So I am on Instagram and Facebook. It's Riley Molinario. So as long as you can spell it, you can find me. Um, And then I do have a a free offer on my website, which is a chance to win one free month of relationship coaching. So if you go to RileyMolinario.com and you pop in your email in the pop-up window, you will be entered to win. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, I will make sure that we have that uh, in our show notes. But Riley, thank you so much for being on the show. And like I said, I, I, I think this is not going to be our last conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. You're an amazing host. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.